Welcome to the Elevated Action Podcast. This is Matt Musgrove here in Billings, Montana. I am with Kevin Bromenshank right now. In my eyes, he's a legend in the sport, um, but if you haven't heard him or uh, seen him online, he's been very active in, in the motorcycle hill climb world for decades. And so uh, thanks for taking time out of your day and welcome to the program. Yeah, it's really cool that you called me out of the blue today just before you head back to California and gave me a chance to visit. And um, yeah, I don't know about the legend part, but I mean, we've been around for a while and uh, now I'm kind of speaking more on the on the intercom a little bit more than riding and that kind of thing. But uh, maybe we have some stories to tell today and have some fun. Yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll have some fun, fun talking about it, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you came from. What do you do and you know how'd you get here? Uh, born and raised in Billings, Montana. Uh, went through architecture school after high school. Uh, got a master's degree in architecture. Went on to work in Dallas, Texas. Worked a lot um, on my own for a while before I did that. And then uh, bounced around a little bit. Came back to Montana in the um, around 96 and worked 10 years here in a local architecture firm. And then bounced back to Austin, Texas. Um, which was right around the 2004 era. And um, I was uh, neck deep in the pro hill climb circuit at that time. And it was a really tough decision for me to move away because I was really wondering how I would pull off, continue to ride. Um, so for 10 years, when I lived in Austin, Texas, we, we flew back. Uh, my dad stayed here in Billings, obviously, and mm -hmm. he took care of our motorcycles and we just fly back and um, jump on an open bike, jump on a nitrous injected bike and try to give it a go. And, um, you know, that kind of showed in my standings, honestly, um, didn't really help that we weren't here, you know, pounding on hills and riding consistently. But while I was in Austin, we uh, working down there, I took a bike with me and we would ride some cross countries. We would do a little um, we do a kind of a seven or eight, nine. I don't know what it was, how many races we did down there, but. They were cross-country circuits, and that kind of kept me, you know, somewhat in the game. But um, in about 2013 or 14, I think it was, uh, Dad got real started getting sick with some medical complications. My mom also was not doing so good at that time, and we just thought, you know, with our son at the age he was, we really wanted him to have some time with them. We, we decided to move back to Billings. We've been back here for six years. And since then I've really kind of waned out of the, out of the sport and took in more of a, a role of announcing. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who didn't see me racing much, um, or competing, maybe they know me more from, um, announcing. Um, uh, but then, but there was a time where I was kind of like you, uh, before a guy like you came along that had real cinematography talent, uh, we were just doing YouTube videos mm -hmm. and things and posting quite a bit and from our helmet cams and iPhones and uh, back back in the day when you had to figure out how to get it from tape to digital to mm -hmm. then the internet and or just video your your TV, we you know we'd post it. So that's kind of my background. Yeah, no. That <clears throat> speaking on the videos, the first one of the first times I met you. Austin, Tyler, and I went out to Billings to pick up some bikes, and we stayed out here for only a few days, and we visited you one night, you and your dad, and uh, we went downstairs to go check out some old videos. We, what was it, 3 o'clock? Yeah, we, we could. We stayed out all night, just or 
downstairs all night watching old videos, VHS, VHS tapes of all the old climbs, races that don't exist anymore. And it was just so awesome to see, you know, the guys back then. And some of them are still racing now. Um, some of them are retired. But you guys were filming everything. We we really did. We had some uh, we had some videographers back then that you know with the big old you know shoulder mount VHS um, stuff. And every year we looked forward to that one video that came out of Big Sky Videos. I think it was here in Billings. They would record the Great America, and that's all we had. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, it was all bootleg home videos. You know, the Whitlocks had a ton. The Peterson had a ton. And some of those are just now surfacing, mm-hmm. actually. Um, but I always had, you know, my my videos that you'd buy once a year. You'd get one video and you'd just wear that thing out <laughs> watching every single ride. Um, and just over the years, we've just collected all of them. Yeah. Um, then I started making my own DVDs of just my own home videos and would splice them together just for me to watch and my family to enjoy. And you know how it is. Everybody kind of does that. And But... Yeah, I have a ton of that li- in that library, stuff you haven't still seen. Yeah. Um, I remember a time when um, when Jeff Thomas was just starting to get into the thick of uh, thinking about coming out to the West Coast. And I met Jeff at an event and uh, we started talking and I, and I approached him about, hey, man, do you have a bunch of East Coast videos? Because I started, I, that was when Internet just started coming along Um Back when I was in Dallas, Texas, was the first time I ever logged on the internet, and wow. I and we could see the just little clips of things like Pogues Hole, mm-hmm. and it just opened my eyes to East Coast racing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know, and these bikes are just instant like horsepower, and you can hear it, and they're just so responsive. And these guys are flying sixty feet, forty feet up in the hill, and just as they hit the ground, they're hitting another jump and mm-hmm. going another forty feet. And you're just like your eyes, you just, you know, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when I, when I connected with Jeff, I just kind of begged him. I said, look, I'll do I'll dub all of my library. If you'll give me all of your library. Mm-hmm. And we exchanged libraries no across way. the country. Yeah. And so <laughs> I really kind of have to apologize to all the NHA writers because Jeff Thomas then came out within a year and a half or two years <laughs> and just wiped this clean, you know, and started sweeping races and, and doing really well. Cause I, I know he was studying those races wow. and how to set up a bike. And, um, yeah, so thanks. It could be thanks to me that he kind of came out and did that so quickly. Um, should have made him, you know, pay his dues a little bit more, but heck kind of had it to the guy. I mean, he was, He's a heck of a bike builder, and he just was watching what we were doing, and he just duplicated it, and he's just strong, and man, what a gutsy rider, too. Mm-hmm. So it takes guts and a good bike, and you can do something great at any hill climb, and Jeff did that. Wow. Now, that's why I wanted to interview Kevin, right? Because <laughs> that's a story I never knew about. The listeners probably never knew about, but that that's really cool, and there's more where that came from. Um, but you touched on the announcing. You were just announcing this weekend at the 102nd Great American Hill Climb here in Billings. In my opinion, it was an amazing race. I, I had a great time. and I didn't go last year. I went to the 100th the year before. And this year was just phenomenal. The hill was tough. You know, they got the show done quickly. The riding was just super good. The, some some of the ride, the best riders in the world were just uh, duking it out. So uh, let's, you wanted, let's give a little recap on... The weekend, what do you think? Yeah, an amazing hill. You know, I keep thinking that one day that hill will become easy. 
you know, um, only because, I mean, after a hundred and some years of doing this event and granted, we haven't been doing it on that hill every single year. There was a number of years where we did it, where the trophies are going right now and you see how smooth and kind of worn down that is. And you're just thinking, when is the day going to come when this hill becomes easy? Well, I mean, it just hasn't happened. And every year the thing throws another curveball at you. And this year was no different. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, we only had just the smallest percentage of riders under under 12 riders get over. Um, I think in even one of the classes we had under six get over. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, that's not ideal. I mean, I think that kind of the ratio is we want to get at least, we want to definitely get the riders who will get in the top 20. We want to get those on time. And then it's cool that if nobody else makes it over, that's that's fine. But you know, we don't, we're not super sophisticated, never really have claimed to be. Um, and, and we're fine with that because we want it to be on time. But, um, you know, we rely on the the observations of the hill work and, and that sort of thing. We do bank on their honesty and um, we just kind of have to accept that, you know, yeah. as it, it is what it is. And um, can't get too uptight about it. I know if it's on, if it's the points and some money's on the line. People do get upset with the footages and you know what? Our Hill's always been just tough. We get into a certain spot and people cluster up there and they do their best. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, obviously no exception, but we did add some phenomenal, um, rides. I mean, I think we dipped into the 11 second range this weekend. I think there was, um, a, yeah, was there a 10? There might've been a high 10. Uh, but yeah. on average, I would say, 16 it would range from the high 16 to 18 seconds down to the the fastest time which i think was in the 11 mm-hmm. second range so a lot i mean it was a legitimate hill climb it you know yeah. it was all about you against the hill not so much if you were going to beat another rider or no, not it was a hill it was really um, a rider versus hill kind of situation and as it should be yeah i agree now anything stand out to you from the event that we can breakdown i mean it seems like the you know there's a few handful of riders that kind of were at the top the the entire weekend but we had some up-and-coming riders that made it over their first time and um we had some other special rides throughout the weekend yeah we had um you know you can go through and quickly highlight generally Mm -hmm. on a list of riders who who's gonna probably rise to the top five and then the five the other 15 it's a crapshoot between another 25 riders, I think, to get into that, into that top, that other, you know, 10 or five through 15. But, um, we did see some new riders coming along. I, I saw that Levi Newby was signed up, but mm-hmm. didn't show up. I was a little disappointed to see that because I really wanted to see what he would do on Me a, too. on a hill climb. Mm-hmm. Did really well in Columbus, uh, super fast hill, but he's kind of accustomed to the jumps and things. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to see how he would shine here. I don't know the reason why he didn't make he it. He was sick. He I got a little south sick the night before. Gotcha. That's a shame. But, um, you know, Jake Anstead rose to the top. Obviously, Logan Mead wins the championship. Uh, we've been waiting to see when that would happen. Yeah, and we knew it could happen within the last nine years. He's made it every time into the runoff and then finally wins it. Austin Tyler um, had another good weekend. Um, we had some veterans like, um, and I, I don't know, Jordan Sh- Jordan Schmidt probably wouldn't consider himself as like a, you know, a a grizzly veteran, but he's been around long enough to where he kind of, he kind of fits that bill now. The top five. But look at him. I mean, 
comes out. Um, some of his equipment's a little get getting older now, mm-hmm. and you know he is too. He's got he's what you know he's got a lot of responsibilities on his shoulders. So racing isn't his focus mm-hmm. like it used to be. Yet he comes out and just throws down. He's the first rider over the hill. Um, other highlights were the the Molzon brothers. Mm-hmm. They came out from out of Warland, Wyoming, mm-hmm. and throw down some incredible runs when no one else could get over. They they just lay down yeah. a sweet run. Um, I'm trying to think here, um, who else? But all in all, I I I thought that um, it was a good mix of people clawing and scratching. The riding order actually worked out good to where you would sprinkle in some Logan Sapalas and. And things to where you you know perk up and say okay we got a mm-hmm. three time AMA amateur champion rider of the year on the line and then here's you know I got the three time great American champion um, here you know five riders later and then in between you'd have a guy that would go up and then wow like we had that extraordinary wreck um, unfortunately from one of the Molzon brothers flipped his bike at the top and that thing came down and then hit the sprinkler system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt really bad for him. Um, uh, it was dramatic and exciting. And then I think uh, Curtis Sorensen had a really bad getaway oh, yeah. where the bike malfunctioned extremely bad, held wide open. That was a scary moment. And that bike came tumbling down and held wide open until I don't he may have he may have melted a piston ultimately mm-hmm. at the end of that whole thing. I don't know why that malfunction happened, but there was a ton of excitement. All in all, nobody got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, some bruises maybe, but scrapes, but it was a good weekend. It was a really good weekend. And, uh, like you said, excitement, every run, the top guys were at the bottom through throughout the entire run, just to see if their time's going to get bumped and, uh, all eyes on the hill. I mean, that hill is always wins, you know, and the one, th- I think this is one of the only hills that maybe I could be wrong, but I, if there's anything about this hill that might be different from other hills, the, the bottom third of the hill is so important. Mm-hmm. Gravity is like pulling on you the second you drop the clutch. And because it's so steep and bumpy and just in the traction, you know, it's everything is trying to rob horsepower, rob momentum. So that first 200 feet, the riders are just ultimately concentrating on that because they know if they can't get through that smoothly and hit a four inch line mm-hmm. here and, and then jump there and land perfectly here, they know momentum starts playing and gravity starts playing against them and if you can carry that first 200 feet perfectly um you know the top wall although it looks most ominous is actually the easiest part of the hill and um so and the other thing that that always happens is even though they water it there's going to be about a 50 foot stretch right before the wall that there's absolutely no traction yeah in round two of the very first run Mm -hmm. there's no more traction it's just hard as a rock and uh so Nobby tires were a big factor to success this weekend. The open exhibition, I felt like actually we we might have made I might have made a bad call on my bike setup for Todd to ride. Um, mm-hmm. We put a tire on, and I thought it would be I thought it'd be really good, but that wall at the top actually was a little more gummy um, and a little more gardeny up there than mm-hmm. I would have thought. At least in the early of second round, and of course the first round. Um, some paddles were working better up there on the top. Um, Craig Spencer made an open bike look really good on that hill mm-hmm. um, with his paddle. And, um, yeah, so for the most part, I think that, you know, the tire worked the best. Um, the IRC and, and um, um, the Pirelli worked good. 
whatever Austin, uh, whatever uh, Jake's running the on Dunlap, the back, the Dunlap, MX-12, yeah. yeah, the MX-12 worked, worked really good well. for him. So, the, yeah, tires for the most part are working really well. Then we got the Big Sky Challenge coming up. You know, if that hill's watered really well, some paddles can work good there, there too for over three quarters of the hill. Mm-hmm. And the last quarter of that hill would be a tire. It's just, it, yeah. you can't outguess it. So yeah, you, you just kind of have to take the good with the bad and, and run your percentages. Definitely. And like you kind of touched on it with the Great American, that hill probably more than any other hill I can think of right now has more factors of screwing up somewhere along the line. It's like you look at a pinball machine and some pinball machines are easier than others. This one is like the most ruts, the most little ledges here and there, the most traction in some spots, then no traction in others. There's probably more factors on the Great American Hill than any other hill. It, it just changes so much throughout the way up. And it's not super tall. It's, no, it's, it's not. It's just really gnarly. Everywhere. Yeah. And constantly changing. Constantly mm-hmm. changing. Um, in the 450 class, we we had to chisel some things. Uh, the 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 sliding and the cliffs and the not and the all these nuggets and trenches that were in that hill at the beginning, they we actually had to kind of groom a, a few things because it would have been. I think we only got that was the class we had the least bikes over. Yeah. Actually, I think we had under ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and with eighty riders, that's not that's not cool. So mm-hmm. we did we we created an opportunity for a little double in the middle of that hill, and I think only. If 10 riders went over, I bet seven of them benefited from that. Mm-hmm. And when they when they did, it worked good for just seven riders. Yeah. And then after that, it got cupped out, mm-hmm. and nobody else would take it. It just changes. It changes that the whole, fast. And I filmed the entire race. Every single run, I was at the bottom filming. So I was physically trying to watch the the changes on the hill and talk to the other riders to see what they're saying. I'm, I'm learning a lot myself and just how each rut changes and how each line opens up and becomes easier or becomes harder. It, it's really a crapshoot. Right. And what really is amazing is like riders have to like take this whole thing in perspective. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're all so hard on ourselves and just so disappointed when we don't do well, but you have to take into pers- keep it in perspective that, when things are changing that much and a two inch line, you know, a four inch wide rut, um, and a, you know, a six inch tall little, um, section that might unload your suspension at the wrong time Mm -hmm. can make all the difference. And, and so it it takes a phenomenally good rider and a lot of luck Mm -hmm. to get, to hit those two spots in particular and to carry, that speed that you were hoping to have. And when it happens, it's, it's, it, there's guys that make that hill look like an absolute. And I say it before is just a sidewalk. Oh, it, it looks like they're just riding up a sidewalk. I watched Austin's GoPro footage from the 450 win and it was, it made me sick. It's like, this is flat ground. It, it didn't look hard at all. And, um, we didn't even touch on all the bike setup changes that these length tire setup, tire mm-hmm. pressure, you know, then you got, um, you know, gearing is probably one of the more important factors that you have suspension, right? All these different, there's a million different combinations that you can go. And, you know, like I said, rider, luck, bike setup, yeah. hill conditions. There's, uh. And like I was talking to Craig Spencer, we interviewed him, uh, it was sun, uh, Saturday morning before the race. We kind of want to get some color on those guys. And his comments were really, I thought, 
obvious, glaringly obvious, but until somebody says it, you don't really realize it. He says, my open bike, and this is the same for me, and my open bike has stayed, stayed the same setup for years. Mm-hmm. They have so much horsepower that if you have a good tire that'll hook up, it doesn't matter about gearing and length as yeah. much. Um, as. But when you get on a 450, mm-hmm. one inch length makes a big difference. The tire, the, the gearing especially, mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. Whether you're gearing it for third gear or second gear, um, all those things are, make it so finicky for a 450 to do well. So, you know, hats off to a guy who can come out and win that event. Yeah. And Austin did a good job. And then he comes out there with a what a lot of people would say that's not the the state of the art bike on the market right now in the in the Suzuki. But he and Dan the Man have just like made that thing a dream bike, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a lot of people salivating and wish they had one too. And that's a cool thing that they've done for that brand. So I, I, I appreciate that. I do too. Um, another rider, we want our ride. I want to talk about is Logan Sapala's six zero to six hundred ride. Because man, bring Dustin the uh, that KX five hundred off, mm-hmm. and just coming out, the suspension's blown. They haven't really touched it much, and he admits to it. It's just you know ridden once a year, and he not only wins the class, but he beats his own time by you know. By a huge margin. Well, I thought he beat everybody by like two seconds in that class. Yeah, he beat everyone by two seconds and beat his own time by another second. Yeah. He, I know he rides it once a year, but look at Logan Sapala. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, give the guy credit. He, he'd be, he's another humble pie guy that's hard to pull any information out of. Uh, and he tells me, um, you know, I get out of him that he's not only a rider of the year for AMA once, but three times. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a top pro in the East. He's a top pro in the Midwest and he's, he's a top pro in your series. He made mm-hmm. your team, um, Rockwell mm-hmm. and in AHA. So yeah, you got a guy who could just jump on what you would, a lot of people would say a clapped out 500, mm-hmm. um, that's not getting any technology attention whatsoever. And because he's what six, four and he's got great, you know, all the, this leg, um, there's your suspension. Like yeah. he, he doesn't need suspension. He's got all those legs <laughs> and he's, you know, all that leverage in his body and strength. Um, and man, is it good to see him back? You yeah. know, what does he have a 13 inch scar on his stomach? Yeah. No from, kidding. Earlier like, this would year, look yeah. like he was attempted to be murdered or something. Mm-hmm. It was awful. The, what he went through and now he's back. So, um, yeah, really cool to see, uh, you know, Logan Sapala and, and uh, the things that his brother Luke is doing now too for the sport oh, is huge. encouraging. Um, I mean, there's room for more cinematography, right, Matt? Oh, there's always yeah. more. <laughs> I'm enjoying yeah. his content just oh, like I enjoy yours. I went up to him and said, thank you again. I've been telling him thank you. But his vlogs, if you haven't seen the Sip Snaps Against the Grain vlogs, go check them out. He's been following the races, the summer that he's had kind of off because of COVID-19 and he's just documented excellently. And I'm really proud of him for challenging himself to do that. It's like he's been putting in endless work. Yes. And another up and comer is Ty Hageman. Yeah. Big shot um, for the, um, what is the, the Montana moto movie, movie that's yeah. uh, premiering in April, April ish, 2021, mm-hmm. I think. Um, don't know the exact day. I think it was fourth or 14th when that premieres, but I'm looking forward to that. And he was out there filming a lot. So I expect to see some good hill climbing content. Yeah. In there. I was hanging out with him quite a bit also and great guy and uh super passionate talented and it's just nice to see 
more yeah. come into the sport and they they recognize the potential so it's encouraging because you know personally i lose heart sometimes if i'm not challenged or by others or encouraged by others to do keep doing this you know i think a person can only come up with so many ideas and yeah. you don't know what you don't know and sometimes just a little something that someone else does is inspiring enough for Definitely. you to go that's mm -hmm. a great idea and even if you run with a sliver of someone else's you know idea or content and you take it in a new direction it's it's all of a sudden i mean that's how music's evolved everything oh, yeah. we so. haven't really done anything dramatically new i mean you go 10 years ago the petersons were doing things we were doing as far as filming events and making free ride videos and stuff so it's all kind of just recycling and and hopefully something sticks there's room for all of it in my yeah, opinion exactly now uh, i wanted to ask with the great american how long have you been going to that event since I was four years old, probably, <laughs> when my dad was riding in it, um, this weekend, they ran an article, they interviewed us about dad, dad passed away here December 22nd, um, so last year was his last event, and um, we got to show them the the one and only picture my dad had, I mean, we had some little Polaroids, you know, mm -hmm. in a photo album, but the one professional picture of him was that that classic look down the hill and my dad's mm -hmm. coming up with a leather jacket on a Honda Twin 350, you know, kind of wow. just no number plates with a cool looking Evil Knievel <laughs> silver helmet with a stripe on it. And he just looked like a, you know, American badass on wow. that thing. So um, that was it. That yeah. was our, we hung our hat on just looking at that, that photo so cool. of dad over the years. And um, we got to post that in the paper this weekend and his picture. And then of course with Todd, um, we, we I approached Todd and um, asked him to ride the bike for us. And, uh, you know, he did a great, he did a phenomenal job this weekend. Um, he just, you know, he's never ridden our bike. And, mm -hmm. and our, you know, our, my motorcycle is just not that easy to ride. What I mean, is it again? It's a, you know, it's a Kawasaki KZ1428. Mm -hmm. I think Jeff Snipes has one. Dusty Beer ran one for years. Nick Beer's running one for years. But as things get lighter and faster, they just kind of go to the wayside. Well, we, I still have it. My dad put a ton of time into it. Dusty Beer built my frame. Loomis Performance helped with some fitment and some tuning. And the motor was 100% built by Rick Rail, um, sponsored by Tom Staley, which is a family relative of ours. And just he put a lot of money and effort into that and really gave me that opportunity say everybody gets a break in life and that was mine mm. didn't have a lot of money back then and along comes tom and he says you get the best people you can think of to put this thing together and i'll pay for it and uh um he didn't want a lot of people to know that tom passed away um back in approximately 11 or 12 um but you know i'm i'm proud to say that if it wasn't for him i wouldn't have ever had that bike mm -hmm. and so and then, of course, my dad was just, you know, he's always there every step of the way, you know, at every moment. You know, he helped Dusty build the frame and cut the frame up. And there's a whole backstory to that. But it, you know, and that motor was actually you know, my dad's street bike motor back like in the day. Oh, my gosh. Um, that was in the article this weekend. So the short story of that is he bought a, a Z900 back when it, in 1973 mm -hmm. when this hottest bike on the market. And he would dirt drag it the day before the hill climbs and it stood up on him out of the hole so hard that he was like, I'm scared to death of this thing. I'm getting rid of it. He sells the thing. And the, the people who, who have the bike, um, 
are enjoying it, but it gets stolen from them. It gets dumped in the Yellowstone River. Um, the, the police find it, and they take it over to the Kawasaki shop, which happened to be owned by my dad's uncle at the time, John Zimmerman. And um, it sat there for years, and his son started building it. He was like, I'm going to build this thing up and do a 1,000cc motor. And he gets to a certain point, and he can't figure it out anymore, and it sits in his basement for 18 years. Just oh sits my. there, this half-built motor. Well, one day, Dad and him are together, and they're having a couple of beers or whatever, and they're trying to decide how they're going to fix this air conditioner. And my dad says, look, I got an air conditioner. I'll give it to you if you'll give me that motor for my son to put in the bike we're building. And he says, deal. Gives him the motor, all the parts for it. It was all original equipment, everything. And uh, and it all timed out. So we had the motor, and it wasn't that It was that same year I was riding in the Great American, and Tom was there, and they are having a few beers, as usual. Mm-hmm. Hey, how come you're not riding one of these things? I'm like, hey, we're we're trying to build one. We got got the motor and we're all excited. And he goes, tell you what, yeah, like I said, get the best people, the best parts, whatever you think is the best. Send me the spec sheet and then, and I'll write you the check. And that's how it came together. So we nat, you know, we naturally approached Dusty Beer at the time for the help of the frame and the chassis because he was the number one rider, and we we'd been practicing and riding with him and traveling with him for for a few years at that time, and. Um, he was good enough to do that. He built my bike on crutches. It was he just had ACL surgery and helped build my bike. Um, and then we approached Rick Rail and he built it. And that's how my dad wow. and Rick became like best friends over the years. And they were always working on that bike. So it was cool to see it run again this year. It's been a couple of years where it just sat in the shop. And I promised my wife I wouldn't ride anymore. I've been injured a few times and just age and mentally I'm just not. It's just too much, you know, mm-hmm. for me mentally to. You know, anybody can ride a bike, certain speed, but we all want to go fast and we find pride. And I mean, if you're going fast and you crash, that's cool. If you go slow and you don't make it, that's just not cool for me <laughs> anyways. And, or even if you do make it, you know, and you're like, eh, 45th, everybody got over and you're 45th, yeah. you know, and you got <laughs> fast time is 10 seconds. You were 21. <laughs> not cool. So it, it. Yeah, it's just time, and uh, I, I don't miss riding. I mean, I kind of miss riding it, but don't get me wrong, but I just know that I'm just not at that place yeah. anymore. So Wow. Well, thanks for the backstory on that bike. Now, what year did your dad start racing the Great American? Yeah, I think he only raced for a short period of time because um, I came along about when he was 21 or so. So I think he really only competed maybe three or four years. Was I mean, from when, yeah, it was in the seventies. Okay. I, you know, I was born in 1970. I think he stopped riding in 73, 74. Okay. So, you know, he might've been doing it when he was 18. Um, you know, just farting around, but he never had a lot of money to do it. He's a farm kid and, mm-hmm. um, but he, you know, he was heavy handed on the throttle. He would, he, he rode well. Um, back when we were riding snowmobiles and that sort of thing, he didn't shy away from a lot of stuff. Um, but a couple of little accidents, Took him out of the game. Uh, he was coming down a hill in Helena on a drag race. It was side-by-side type of thing. Mm-hmm. They used to drag race. And there was a lot of rocks, river rock. And I think one of those got lodged in his rear brake when he was coming down. And um, he didn't have a front brake back then. Oh. Um, so he came down with a you know a lock. He couldn't, if you ever got something mm-hmm. stuck in your brake lever and tried to push it down his ink and engage, well, that was going. And then it bump started. And he like came down that hill just racing, you know, full speed, um, all of gravity, um, and the bike started. He went through the crowd. He went out in the parking lot, slid under a truck, 
smashed his head, cut his helmet open. You know, the boyfriend that he ran, he, <laughs> the boyfriend of a, the girl that he ran over came over, wanted to punch my dad out. And my brother, my dad's brother had to come over and peel him off. It was a mess. And they were just, a, you know, my dad's dazed and confused. My uncle probably had about four or five oldies in him, Olympia beers or something. And he talked his way out of that situation. But after that, he was like, I'm done. And then, you know, some trail riding accidents where he'd be going downhill and he'd be on these old these older bikes with dual suspension on the back and no ground clearance and you'd be coming down. We used to ride out at the Zimmerman ranch a lot and there's lots of little downhill cliffs, things that enduro bikes would just fly over now, but you know, high centered and hit the frame and then tossed him over the bars into a bunch of other rocks, mm. kind of knocked him out and took a big chunk out of his helmet. And ever since then, he was pretty much done with motorcycles. I, I rarely, if ever rode with my dad mm. growing up, he just kind of encouraged it with you. Huh? He encouraged. He didn't discourage it. Um, it wasn't until I was twelve year old, twelve years old, that he got me a bike, um, and then he bought a bike that was like eighty two. Um, but he had a bike, and he was. I think he rode it like four times with me. Mm-hmm. It was brand new. Never rode it. Sold it finally, and just um, I got it. I was into baseball, and you know, played for the Scarlets here in town, and. So I I never missed a hill climb. I missed one in 2012 living in Austin, but other than that, I've been here. Mm. Um, but uh, he uh, he was just like when he was done with something, he was done. Yeah. And but he, you know, he always had a bike around, and he didn't care if he sold it or owned it or if anyone rode it. And certainly didn't really like me riding it. <laughs> I yeah. always put he liked nice stuff, and he was like. It- it is a pleasure to know him. I met him a couple of times and then you guys came out to Pogues Hole. Was that 2018? Last year. Last year, 2019. Yep. It was on our bucket list and yeah. we went last year. That was super special mm-hmm. to have you guys there. Now, the Great American, they, these days, the current Great American competition, the top riders and such, how do you compare it to back 10, 20 plus years ago? I've had the pleasure to watch and ride with, I would say, kind of both a you know i was i was really starting to engage and watch a lot of hill climbing and knew the people like your mark linhart your mark poland carrie peterson um and then there's the next generation when those guys are kind of peeling off and you know doug sherburn um, those are kind of local favorites that i knew back in the day before i started riding and then you and then the young guns of the time at when they were kind of coming out of it was your Travis Whitlock, Bell Kimball, Kenny Kimball, Robbie Peterson, um, you know, Craig Spencer started coming along and for, you know, about, you know, dusty beer was in that mix there. And so you're watching these guys for, I don't know what that generation might've been taking us like 10 years through the eighties, early nineties. And then along starts coming, the um the Meads and Anstets and Tyler and that kind of thing that we're seeing now and I've been able to either see or ride and compete with all of those guys. And I you know, I feel like in the eighties for, for Whitlock and Kimball, I mean they were um and Peterson, they were all kind of in Dusty as well. And try not to forget anybody, but there was certain guys there, it was like I, I really feel like it was fish in the barrel for those guys. And they just were it was like they were space aliens put into a new, into a, a time and a place where they just didn't belong. Yeah. Like they almost belonged in today's generation. Mm-hmm. They were that good. You know what I mean? But 
back when there were no jumps, back when there was a few little cliffs, but we didn't know how to do them. Um, all of a sudden, this half a dozen guys can just blitz a cliff, mm-hmm. can can ride a bike wide open from top to bottom where everyone else is kind of like blurping the throttle and working the clutch and hitting every bump slowly, but getting through it and then mm-hmm. catching momentum and then barely getting over the hill. Then a Whitlock kid comes along and just full throttle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it just kind of opens your eyes, you know, and then you see how, what Kerry Peterson was doing to the Widowmaker back in the day. And there was a, there was a couple guys hanging with him. Um, forget their names, but there was a guy on a, on a, um, on a inline four Honda, um, in the eighties that was kind of hanging with them, but even still, and he was giving it a lot of throttle then too, but it's just like they were there, there was, there was a smaller fraction of like absolutely phenomenal riders Mm -hmm. and there was a big gap between them and everyone else. Um, today the gap is narrowing and the standings are getting closer and closer and closer. And that's because of technology. I think Mm -hmm. most of the bikes that those guys were riding, they had to make hundred percent themselves. And even the production bikes that they were making them from were so underdeveloped and inadequate to deal with the length of the swing arms that they were wanting to do and the steepness of the hill and the power that it would require. Um, even if you had that four cylinder engine in there, I can only imagine that there was a limited amount of spring technology and oil and seals and Mm -hmm. just things in the suspension that could even hold up the weight and take the hits of the jumps and the Mm -hmm. cliffs that they wanted to do. Um, so I, I feel like there was, um, you know, I, it, it was, it's definitely different. It was way different than it was in the eighties and the nineties, um, to how it is today. Um, every kid can go buy, you know, a Ken Roxon level CRF 450 if they want and um, compete really well. And with some motocross, you know, help, you know, they, 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 they have automatically rise to the top 15. Mm-hmm. You got a year's worth, year or two year worth of really good motocross experience and race background. You jump right into hill climbing. You're a top 15 guy, yeah. just like that. Mm-hmm. And back when we were racing, you were either a hill climber or you were a motocrosser. They didn't mix very much. So, um, now it, that's what carries most of these kids right up into the top money-making spots is because they've been racing motocross all all this time. And, um, so anyways, Hmm. you know, I really think that there was a, a lot to be said about, um, technology back then, but. And the availability of information too. Oh Yeah. You couldn't that, share information very easily. Yeah, or researching things or buying things off the internet is like transformed the way, you know, back then you were only limited to what you can find, you know, physically. And now it's, you can find anything. Well, yeah. And you kind of know how it is. You went overseas. Um, you've seen yeah. what the riders over there are kind of working with compared mm-hmm. to what our riders here are dealing with. It's a big, big difference. Yeah. They've in the last, thanks to you guys showing up, Team USA going over there a few years, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're seeing a major upturn in technology yeah. and and bike development, and they're building some really nice machines over there, mm-hmm. and their riders are getting a lot more aggressive than mm-hmm. they ever were. I don't think they ever, you know, would full throttle a hill before team USA showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, there might've been a, a couple guys that would do that sort of riding technique, but when team USA showed up 
and they started blitzing hills with full throttle on 1200cc machines with no regard for safety or concern. Um, you know, they, they kind of threw the trail riding approach out the window because hill records need to be broken. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can do that is by going fast. Yeah. Man, that's a lot at once, but you know, that's a good perspective to, to think about because, you know, we, we take it for granted these days. Sometimes, you know, that you buy 450 off the showroom, but you know, you could, it could that 450 could win back in 10, 20 years ago, I mean, maybe 20 plus years ago, it wasn't the case, you know, even no. the 700 class when they had it. So, uh, the game has changed, but it's also made the competition tighter. Like you said, you know, the other funny thing is, is you look at some of those old VH types say I have, and mm-hmm. you'd see guys, you'd see one guy running a paddle with steel welded right to the rim. Another guy would be running a car tire. That's as wide as your truck tire. Mm-hmm. Right. And then another guy would be running an obby. Another guy would be running a rubber tire. And that was just because they were in, they were all working in silos and they had their own idea mm-hmm. that year about what would work. And that was the cool thing about the exhibition class. Yeah. They'd come out there, you didn't know what you were going to see. Mm-mm. And out comes this invention from every single silo, <laughs> every single garage that can't talk to the other. Yeah. Because, you mean, even a long distance phone call was pretty expensive back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wouldn't dare, you know, sit on the phone for an hour and talk about bike parts probably. But, Today, you just go on the internet and look at, see what Robbie Peterson did to his bike because, you know, it's all over the internet. Yeah. So you can copy that or, you know, whatever. So now there's not a lot of variation in how the bikes look, Mm -hmm. what they sound like, you know, the length that they're running. Um, It's pretty quick and widely known what's working and what's not. Mm -hmm. Back then, nobody knew it worked. So the cool thing about exhibition was, what are we going to (laughs) see? I mean... (laughs) bolts and tires are you kidding yeah. me and you know yeah that's cool it is like going to france these days i mean like you said the french riders have evolved quite a bit in the last 15 years but you still get those guys that just everything there is hand built but in their garages still mm-hmm. um but they are taking more notes on what the americans are doing but it's just funny the inventions you see out there in the, the frankenstein bikes like to another level and uh kind of special because we don't get that here as much you know I, like you said back in the day it was like that but right uh, it did make it you know way more interesting it does make it very interesting and i that's what i enjoy about your videos right now because when you go over there you capture that essence of the 80s for me oh, and, yeah. and you know like i don't and i'm not and that's not a dig at anybody i just mm-hmm. think it's awesome when someone has the the skill set and the bravery and the courage and just the resources to just go ahead and build what you want Mm -hmm. and let's just see if it works. And that's the, that's the beauty of hill climbing. Like, let's see if this works. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and especially when you're on a hill, like the great American, like you're desperate to find out (laughs) what is going to work on this thing. And so, you know, with the steepness and roughness of a hill, sometimes, yeah, Hey, a risk will pay off and Mm -hmm. guess what will happen though. Exactly. You're going to have a hundred guys copying you in a hurry. Mm-hmm. That's very <laughs> true. Yeah. The great American man, it, there's not really many Hills you can practice. Yeah. You know, you could test and tune on all types of different Hills, but there's really nothing that mimics the great American to where your setup is just going to be dialed for it. It's a lot of experience and knowledge and having the right resources on tap. You hit the nail on the head there. I mean, we've been searching, 
<laughs> on all the acreage we have at the Billings Motorcycle yeah. Club to find a hill that would duplicate that, yeah. and it is nearly impossible. You might find a hundred feet of a hill somewhere that might mimic a section of that hill, but um, yeah, it's gonna really just rider experience and time on the seat is gonna pay off probably the most yeah. on riding the Great American. Um, good notes can't hurt, mm-hmm. and so I. I I was a note taker, um, took a lot of notes, not, none of it really, I don't know. It, it takes, it's all those combinations. You can take a million notes and not ride well and doesn't work. And I mean, it's just everything and, you know, mental capacity, the courage and that you might have to have in your mental state of mind, just to be confident to do what you think you can do and Mm -hmm. believe in it and try it, doing a double up a hill and doing a step up or a cliff you just got to believe you can before you even do it. Yeah. If, you, if you're not there, you're kind of in the wrong sport. So mental is big. It is big. Uh, being with, close to the Austin, I, you know, he sometimes gives me his thoughts on line choices. And I usually don't respond because I have nowhere to, you know, no room to talk when he dreams up a line. But sometimes I just look at him like, really, you, you're going to try that? And he, you know, pulls it off a lot of the time. Sometimes it doesn't work, but um that happened to work in his benefit in 450 he was the first one to hit that sage to left that little sagebrush and, and then hop to the just hop to the right yep. and it, it worked out perfect in his favor um <laughs> we were laughing last night because we were watching the runoff video that he did on the 1000 where he went out of the line oh my and God. <laughs> we were laughing at the table because <laughs> the video is just classic and i should just show you right now because it's just so funny on air we'll just do this real quick because i didn't plan to show you this but uh there's a while you're pulling that up there's a video i thought of um back in the day um at pokes hole um tiger strength was riding a a kx 500 and and there's a lot of video of this online and it's in some of the the produced videos but he goes off the second jump and he's in the air for so long he starts reaching down with his foot you can see it kind of mid-air he's like reaching down reaching down reaching down looking for some ground to land on and he's just still in the air and that's what reminded me so much of what austin did this weekend at the top of the hill that that is like what it is and we estimated it was about 60 feet that he launched upwards up the hill because he went to the next flag the the video is the the gopro video (laughs) oh it's on the from the helmet yeah this is the one that just like is um it, the sound won't work because we're running the podcast off the computer, but all right, you'll get to see his line. Right, choice. so he's at the bottom here. He's going to take off. Everything's going good. I think he kind of gets a little fumbled here. He goes out it, of his line right there. And it frustrates the heck out of him. Like, yeah, he's not lined up at all. He hits that hog's back. Oh, man. Yeah. He, <laughs> there's um, there's a, there's this, there's this right. what, two-and-a-half-foot ridge that goes all the way up along and everybody wants to go on the left side of that and he squares up and hits the the nose of that hog's back and launches i'm glad he stayed on the pegs though because if he launched he would have gotten hurt big time yeah i think if he would have let go it would have been bad or if he put a foot down Mm -hmm. instead of let the suspension absorb that hit but i could tell he was i mean it felt like a three six three second airtime kind of thing yeah, that's impressive. I really like that GoPro. I can't wait to see that get posted. Yeah, actually. we'll share that mm-hmm. uh, later on. He probably will. But um, 
Where do you see the future of the sport going? That's a question I like to ask a lot of people. It's a very broad question. There's no one answer. But, yeah. um, you know, what is your take? You've been around the block a lot, and I'd love to know your insight on that. Yeah, it's, I think perfectly, um, well, in a perfect world, and I do have hope for this sport. I, and my biggest hope is that um, that there's there's no more sides to pick. That's my biggest hope for the sport. That um, once again, people who um, haven't been riding in one in Rockwell ride Rockwell again if they choose to, and people who haven't been riding in NHA ride NHA again. Um, do they have to be one? sanctioning body not necessarily uh i just you know i just i hope to see that 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 unifies and um and people enjoy hill climbing Mm -hmm. just riding hills um come to ride some great hills there are still some great hills to ride that some people have just never touched yet Mm -hmm. and and they're very capable of doing well on those hills and i in my opinion they should they should they should have that opportunity. And I think, um, the future is bright for that to happen. And, um, so that's my hope. That's my future outlook on it. That, um, whatever we've been going through in the last, uh, well, it's been about 10 years. Um, that that's not really happening anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I can see that just through the politics that we deal with in our government, through the politics and the medical, um, issues we're all dealing with, it's enough, mm-hmm. you know, enough's enough where we have to pick a side yeah. and, um, this shouldn't be the place anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, if any of us could get past COVID and if any of us, when we get past COVID, we'll be relieved when we get past, um, an election year again, we'll, I think some of us will be relieved, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know if, if that's a good comparison, but I think, you know, we, we have to make, we, we have many times are forced in our society to choose sides. And um, I just don't think there's a place for it here mm-hmm. and there's no need for it. I mean, it's a, I, I can't think of a single person in this sport that I, I would, would love to hang out over dinner and a beer. Um, I can't think of anybody that I would, would not enjoy doing that with. And um, so that's, that's my outlook for it. Um, I have, a, you know, I think the moto climb series is a, is an awesome uh, promoted event um, and series of events that brings together a lot of people and um, helps riders shine on different types of hills. That's a that's a neat thing that's happening right now, and I think that that will help unify some things and um, bring some neutral ground. And then when, once neutral ground gets found, I think we can forget a little bit more about the past, I hope. Yeah, um, that's my so that's my opinion on it. So there's um, no, I think that that's I think there is a bright future for the youngsters that are coming up, even people that are 12 years old. I think they can look forward to continuing to do this. I you know I I'm I'm a firm believer in what the Billings Motorcycle Club does with buying land and and supplying um, a future for our youth and for our our families to enjoy. And so you know. I feel that with that sort of thing, there's at least that. If every other hill got taken away, at least we'll have that. Yeah. And hopefully that remains. And I think that's, you know, 
I think they've been doing a good job of guarding that. That's a lot of responsibility to guard and nurture that that property and and keep it in good standing where it's not threatened by any sort of you know insurance or whatever. I don't know what what all the things are factor in there, but the more you have, the more risk you have of losing it. So mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot to be said about protecting what you have, and, and I think the Billings Motorcycle Club does that um, and does it well. So at any rate, um, you know, technology is growing. Kids are getting fast, and and it's 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 really entertaining stuff. I mean, uh, we just love going up hills and love trying to get to the top of them. So there, I think there's always going to be um, a venue for it, and I think there's always going to be fans who like to watch it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you, and I on the unity side of it, that's something we all strive for. I think we all want the same all striving for the same goal but mm-hmm. there's just different ways of getting there and once we're on neutral ground then we can start working together from there but yeah um, something i look forward to i think it's it's gonna be exciting to see one day um that happen you know and there may be certain things that just don't come together and we'll just move forward and um and just keep building on what we know and and try to make things better so, you know, that's the exciting part about my path now in hill climbing is, you know, I may not be riding bikes for very much longer, but, you know, doing the announcing and, and staying in the know with the riders and keeping in tune with what they're doing and talking about them and bragging about them and, and interviewing them and um, trying to make it an exciting experience for the fans to be out there and learn about our sport as it's happening, mm-hmm. explain things to them. That's really kind of my goal out there. And I, you know, I try to plug sponsors and that sort of thing, but really I want to educate them of what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I, how do we get a champion on this thing? You know, why is it, you know, why isn't the open exhibition guy, the, the final champion and mm-hmm. um, answer those questions and just describe the bikes. You know, there's a lot of people that just don't get it. I mean, they don't, yeah. they don't know it. And so it's important to talk about it. Yeah. And touch building off that, Something we've tried to do at the Super Series is create storylines. And like you do really well when announcing, you tell the little bit about their past. Mm-hmm. You put a face to a name. They're not just a guy in a helmet. And you kind of describe, you know, this. And once you start to get to know the riders a little more, you see them race to race. Oh, there's some rivalries building. It creates excitement. That's really what, you know, Supercross has nailed because the reason people hang around Supercross, when the champion wins three rounds in, from finishing, you know, it gets boring. They want to see it to the very end. And so I think our sport provides that and it's just our way to communicating it. And you do that really well at the races. I'd ask you kind of, um, and you know, some of these riders better than me, even the California ones, but what rivalries do you see right now that are really fresh and, uh, current? Well, on the East coast, I think the rivalries I'll explain, I think everyone's apparent to it. Uh, but Jay Sahlstrom and, and John Kester have always kind of battled back and forth. But then Logan Sapala threw his hat in the ring last year on the East Coast, and it made things really interesting. Yep. He tied up the open class until the final round at Devil's Staircase on a gas bike. So that was pretty impressive. That proved a lot that Nitro has its limitations on certain hills. And um, But still, you know, Jay's toning back. John even is toning back. So it kind of leaves this interesting gap on the East Coast. Um, when it comes to rivalries for the championship on the West coast, 
I think the past few years has been Jake and Logan. Yeah. Mead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those two have, you know, Logan's been in it for about a decade now and, and Jake has been in it for almost five years. And so it's, it's coming to a point where these guys are stacking up championship plates. You know, they're on similar bikes kind of, you know, uh, riding the KTM V twins, different setups on them, but you know, they just always end up in the finals together in four fifties and always in the top five in the, the open. So that's where it gets exciting. And, you know, last year it was pretty obvious that Austin and Logan Sapala, Austin Tyler and Logan Sapala had, you know, just awesome back and forth throughout the super series championship going all the way until the final race of the year. You know, Austin was two points ahead and Logan, you know, wins the last race and wins the championship. So there's, these are healthy rivalries in my opinion, and this is what is good for the sport. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's up to the riders to, you know, carry on their respect for the other rider. That's not my job. They, they're man enough to, to do that. But, um, it's my job to promote it and say, Hey, look at these guys. These guys are professional athletes. They, uh, they're cool with each other, but there's drama, you know, and healthy drama on the race course. And so that's really what we should be highlighting. I think moving into the future. And I've tried to do that with, um, the limited resources I've had, you know, I've, we've, uh, with video and, and filming and, and just the team, I think we've done a decent job of trying to capture those top rivalries. And that really does help a sport out. I, yeah, I agree. I, I think you hit all the, all the top rivalries in today's, um, racing. I can think back of some cool rivalries. What do um, you think of? Uh, the ones I remember and, uh, you know, most people would, would be the Travis and Dusty days. Mm-hmm. Um, they would go back and forth, back and forth all year long on who would win and mm-hmm. who would in the classes and then in the points and then at the Great American, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and then like you were saying with uh, Logan throwing his hat into the John Kester situation, along comes a Jeff Thomas into mm-hmm. that mix out in the West Coast. Um, you come, you also throw in the mix of. You know, the sweet spot of hill climbing was when Dave Watson, Jason Smith, John Smith, Dusty Beer, Travis Whitlock, um, and, you know, um, just before Logan Mead and those guys come on the scene, um, you know, the Kimballs were all there in the mix. And, you know, that was like a crapshoot of who's going to win this thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of when Nitro started hitting the scene. Um, we started getting a taste of that from the east to the west, and people began to experiment with, you know, bringing that. Um, you know, Kerry Peterson always had nitro mm-hmm. in the west coast, right? But um, and a few guys also would bring a Harley or two or a Triumph that had you know nitro, and it was always cool to smell and burn the eyes, and as a fan to see that happen. And um, but that was that. Those were some sweet years when those rivalries were just. It was all tangled up, but mm-hmm. you know the strong rivalry. Well, I not to mention Harold Waddell. Mm-hmm. So you, but really, I think through the Dusty Travis thing into a um, into the turmoil, the, the most was probably Harold Waddell. Mm-hmm. And when he was sixteen and took a four cylinder open bike that was chromed out, you know, um, <laughs> that was a cool bike, you know. And then that bike transitioned into what he has today. 
Um, you know, he's riding Gary's open bike at 16. He puts it over the hill and he's all wide eyed and can't believe he did it, but we weren't surprised at all. Right. And, um, and then all of a sudden he comes back with Sid Seitz old bike in the, that he has now. And it's, you know, Sid Seitz was on the scene in the eighties and he was just a wild man. He mm-hmm. threw all caution in the wind and would throw his bike and jump in the air. Like Austin did this weekend. Mm-hmm. Sid Seitz was doing that, you know, bang up his arm or whatever. Um, and then, um, you know, Harold wants, he's a new kid and he doesn't want dad's big chromed out sweet, you know, stretched, um, chained up bike anymore. He wants his own high tech. So he, they throw a GSXR together. He's riding it and boom, you've got who's going to win between these three guys, Travis, Dusty and Harold Waddell. And that went on for through the nineties, you know, mm-hmm. forever. Um, and those guys were just battling all the time. Um, so that was, I think that was the, you know, the sweetest rivalry. Um, and um, I know that the Kimballs were always knocking on the door, but some of those guys started, you know, hanging their hat on responsibilities <laughs> a little quicker than others. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know Mel's kid um, came up and his name escapes me right now. And that's embarrassing, but Weston, Weston Kimball came up and man, could that kid ride? Mm. And, um, responsibility got a hold of him and um um he went away quickly too but man when he was here he hit made a huge splash um but wow. um anyways i'm missing some guys and i apologize but you know i can well, think in, in recent memory brett and jason of course in like the past decade well that's, that's right one that would be i mean if they they're still relatively young and if they carried on imagine if they still race now you know that yeah I think some of the, yeah, the most incredible rides I've ever seen would be at the Sturgis Hill. That hill, that ride that stands out would be the one that Brett threw down at the at the Buffalo Chip. Oh, yeah. And it, he bounced that bike three times and it, you know, skied over the entire top of the hill. And it and he never let off, you know. And he came back down and I know he had to have been shaken for at least <laughs> a half an hour after that ride because... And he admitted it. He goes, that's the craziest damn thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. But, you know, I'm glad it worked out. And we were too. But, yeah, when you see stuff like that, they're just epic things. And then Max, yeah. you know, Max Simmons comes along mm-hmm. and, and Casey Curtin. Then along comes Joe Shipman. And these guys just, like, some of them are kind of splashes in there. Like, if you if you blink, you missed it. Yeah. You missed the greatness there because they came in and they just hit it hard. And they just – and it's like – it's it's a weird it's a different kind of dynamic with those guys. It's almost like, yeah, I did that good. That's fine, you know. And he moved. Yeah. He's like, I'm gonna go do something else. Mm-hmm. And he's not. He's not. They don't seem to be the type of guys that were like, I need to do that ten times in a row. Mm-hmm. Once is good. And he, you know, and I beat everybody who was really good at the time. That's great. Yeah, I'm gonna go do something else, and that's cool too. Um, yeah, I'm just fortunate to get to see it all. Man, you've seen so many. I mean, we've seen them. Yeah, come and go, and um, you know, I'm sorry to see Brett gone. I'm sorry to see Robbie um, not not racing still today. But man, is he a force in the sport oh, and yeah. just a positive vibe all the time. So I'm so happy to hear everything and see everything he does. I love the history he brings up and all the cool videos he shares mm-hmm. with us from the archives at the Peterson Ranch and. Whatever that you know, I just love watching all of that stuff. So, um, miss some of those guys. I miss yeah. Jason Smith. I miss I miss all those guys. You know that are not riding anymore. Love to. See, I know they could come back at any time. Top five, no oh, problem, yeah. no problem. And it's amazing that 
Travis Whitlock and Dusty, you know, Dusty not so much this year and last year, but they still compete. And yeah. Travis is still winning top fives. Absolutely. And it's amazing. Not many dirt bike sports allow a rider over 50, even pushing 55, 60 yeah. to be in the top 10. You know how I met Travis? It's kind of a funny story. The first, the way I broke the ice with that guy, uh-huh. um, I was a rookie, 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 and watched Travis for many years. And I think he won the Great American. And I just learned about Matt Foley, the motivational speaker. Um, and I, I at the time could mimic that pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so I tucked a pillow under my shirt and went over and gave Travis Whitlock a motivational speech at the middle of the night at, after the Great American at the bonfire. <laughs> And told him he wasn't going to amount to jack squat and all that kind of stuff. And he's just like, dude, who are you? <laughs> I'm like just a, a, you know, some dumbass, you know, late 20s, you know, rookie that yeah. wasn't just trying to break in the sport. I knew him. He didn't know me. But that's how I got to know him mm-hmm. a little bit that night. And, uh, yeah, we've been um, pretty close ever since. You know, I we don't we don't talk to each other all year. But when you do, it's just like you, you saw him yesterday. Yeah. And... Uh, we love the guy and we love his family. So that that was, it was hilarious. Um, I think my very first pro event was in Evanston, Wyoming. And I traveled down there with um, Shannon Chamberlain. He and I traveled with my dad together and Shannon was, you know, teaching me some things, what to expect. And I just had a CR 500 and we'd go warm it up on a hill. And man, I, I thought I saw like a Mel Gibson or you know, a movie star and Travis and Dusty and those guys rolled up over on some practice hills and we were already over there and they kind of rolled up and said, hello, how are you? Oh, just were really cool to us. Yeah. And I mean, of course they knew Shannon. That's why they stopped. And they're like, hey, Shannon, what's up? And then they're like, oh, hey, who are you? You know, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. I don't even know if I said anything. I might have been so nervous wow. at the time, but, you know, I, I probably said hello and everything and said something stupid. But um yeah those guys were always i always admired them and for the longest time and then pretty soon you're riding with them and practicing with them and traveling with them and it's just you're it's like being in the a you know on with a bunch of a-list you know people when for us now they're they're just great people and friends and family family. you're really family and and you think of them that way and it's hard to believe there was ever a time where you're just like stop <laughs> kind of starstruck yeah. about them because they're just they were just like i said in, in the 80s they it's like they were placed here from another time mm. and place they rode so much different than anyone else and it was amazing that they could do that at that time but they did wow now touching on the great american and you know nostalgia jeremy mcgrath you know let's hear it from your perspective you know i we don't have to go in deep. I know we have to kind of wrap this up soonish, but you know, people want to hear what went down that day. Yeah, that was uh, that was amazing. Jeremy McGrath comes, and um, first of all, he starts out of the gate with both feet down in front of his pegs, like it's a supercross. And I don't, I don't think we had the, um, we didn't have the, you know, the fork set um, the way they do today. But I've never seen anybody start you know, out of the, out of the hole, out of the uh, starting area at the bottom of the hill that way. And I'm like, this kid's going to flip right out of the gate. You know what I mean? (laughs) Both feet are kind of, but he, Hmm. he came out of there like a rocket. Um, He had an early draw. He made it just like everyone else in the top 20 that day. It's a throwaway lottery, unfortunate lottery draw. But then the second run, he comes out, doubles something that nobody else doubles and goes into the, 
goes into the championship runoff on that bike. And we're just like, what the heck, you know? And I don't know why we were so surprised. I don't think, I think a lot of us in some ways were because we'd had some other riders cross over and come over, um, cross country riders, notable names, and they did all right. But to get in the top six, never ride an extended bike, never ride in that hill was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, he's seven-time Supercross champion. Looking back, I'm not surprised, you yeah. know, seeing that happen a lot now. Then what was, like, really off the hook, he jumps on the 2500 <laughs> Harley-Davidson, you know, Peterson bike and throws that thing over the hill like it's no big deal. And um, I know he was shaking after that. Yeah. I mean, I know he was just got to be full of nerves and just adrenaline through the roof and he probably had to sit down for like 20 minutes after that just to calm down but um goes on and takes second place i think it was in the runoff uh against travis and like travis said we always kind of wondered what would happen if jeremy Roth showed up well now we know <laughs> and <laughs> it was so cool and of course we were all just you know, taking pictures with him and talking to him and listening to all of all the wonderment that he had about the sport. And he was in awe yeah. and of what we were doing. And we were in awe of what he was capable of doing. It was a neat thing. And I'll tell you this, I was in Austin at the X Games and Jeremy McGrath was down there and um, he remembered, he remembered the day he remembered who I, I felt like he remembered who I was. Mm -hmm. um, we, we did talk a lot. We got a picture taken together. And it was like, oh, yeah, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that day. And um, it was really cool to see him out, you know, out of Montana in Austin at the X Games and, and visit with him about that. And he was really happy to talk about the Great American again. We, we had a nice, I don't know, 10, 15 minute discussion in the midst of everything going on there. And he was he was perfectly comfortable doing that. So it was great. And that kind of started. I always thought, you know, cool to see a Travis Pastrana come, mm -hmm. um, come do something. And, uh, I just think sometimes, especially Travis Pastrana, I am really surprised why he hasn't come done this no. honestly. And, um, now that he's on KTM, there's gotta be a ton of them. He can ride mine for all I care. Yeah. You could, <laughs> could ride anybody's probably. Um, but that would be neat. I'd love to see that happen again. Maybe you could make that happen. You were with, I, uh, Ryan Snipes all year last year. Why yeah. couldn't you make that? Hook he, up? You know, there's a lot of, um, connections that we've built over the years. I think I'm not the only one who's dreamed of that and has yeah. tried. And it's just something we keep pushing for. I think I'm probably not the only one who's pushing for it. And you should so, ride that 500 Suzuki he's got that he runs. I the, know, right? Just yeah. extensions on it. Yeah. But I mean, he's with KTM now, so. He won't he knows, be riding that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, those those riders are always sought after, and we're always constantly trying to push them to come mm -hmm. out. So what's next for us with you, Matt? I don't know. It's been a weird year. I had to cancel some events. Um you know, I'm spending some more time in Billings than expected, but I'm not complaining. I might stick around for the Big Sky Challenge. I like to cool. stay for that. I think Austin's going to still ride my bikes. We're trying to test out that Jixer 1000, dial it in for France next year. Um, and he's been putting, him and Dan have been putting a lot, a lot of work. And um, I feel weird sometimes having Austin ride my bike because, you know, if something goes wrong, like last year, we had a lot of things go wrong with that 636. We had fuel issues and and it was choking out, but you know, he wasted a lot of runs on testing for me. So he's done a lot for me and, and, uh, 
we've been working well together on that end. But we are actually earlier before the pandemic hit, we hit or we went to Peru and that was a really exciting trip and we got some incredible footage and really groundbreaking stuff that the, our sport has never seen before. And I don't know if an extended bike has ever been in South America. Mm-hmm. We, you know, Austin pushed the limits. We had two filmers on there. Austin's cousin, Steve was there to film with myself and we're planning to release that movie this fall. It's going to be uh, a full blown movie. We think, wow. and it's something the sport kind of needs. It hasn't seen one in a few years and it's going to be totally different, you know, more free riding and, uh, just some mind blowing stuff. So we're working on that. Uh, his cousin's editing it a lot, a large portion of it now. Um, but you know, the hardened neuro side is kind of up in the air with COVID this, you know, moto climb super series stuff is kind of up in the air, but just keep pushing and trying to promote the sport. There's a lot of potential. And, um, I believe in the riders and if, if they start losing hope, I lose hope and I'll just find Another job to do. Well, I got a whole library of VHS and DVDs. <laughs> that if you ever fall short of content, you could just splice all that together well, somehow. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because Rockwell <laughs> Taylor this weekend was like, Matt, I need to get a hold of you. I have all the Widowmaker footage from like 2012, 13. And, and before mm-hmm. then, he's like, we did professional TV show ready stuff. And so he's going to, we're going to work together, I think. And mm-hmm. if that stuff in your stuff is just available online. Where people, there's a, there's an online library where they can just go to it and watch and relive those moments. Sure. I think that that'd That's be a plenty. lot of time, value for all of us. And I think I might have myself a new job this winter to be putting that stuff on YouTube or going through it. Who knows? So well, I'm sure you and I will be talking if you want to see that stuff up. I'd love to. It. And, uh, I was, we, I think we were talking before this started and how hilarious it would be to get some, some old storytellers in here and do yeah. a round table. Um, you know, I think of, I, I, I had a sore stomach, not from any exercise I was doing in the last week, but because of laughing of Scott Olson's <laughs> stories this weekend at the great American. And anytime I sit down with him, even, even if I'm buying parts from mm-hmm. him at the store, he's got a story Yeah, and, and they are hilarious. Mm-hmm. And so that would be hilarious to sit in on that or even listen to a podcast by him or be a part of it. So there's, um. There's some good content there. Imagine having him, a couple other old timers, and Scott Knight, too, the hill worker. Mm-hmm. He's been doing it for over 25 years, I think. Yep. And just the things he's seen. Yeah. Imagine that, just having them all together, different perspectives. Well, and I mean, like some of the stories after the hill climb ends, you know, the the rental car incidents, so the, <laughs> the, you know, burning a car down, just, you know, burning the tires off mm-hmm. and just, or, you know, horsing around. Um, the long trips, you know, how many Red Bulls one drank to mm-hmm. make it through the night to get back home, to get back to work. Just, um, and I don't think, I mean, let's say that there isn't, um, well, there was a day where, um, you would definitely drink, um, heavily before an event. And, you know, I've heard some actually losing their, their lunch or their breakfast right before a run and still pull something off in, in you know, an incredible run. So it's, I'm not mentioning any names on that, but there was a time where we didn't take things quite as serious about the training aspect. Um, yeah, I believe it. So it was, uh, you know, there was always a bonfire or mm-hmm. something afterwards and, you know, 
we had to end before it got dark. And mm-hmm. so you had all night to party. <laughs> and the, we used to stack up this gigantic bonfire thing and burn a bike on top of it. I heard about the bike. Yeah. Right? Put a yeah. bike, an old bike on top of it, light that thing on fire, and it would go all night long. So you'd watch the sun come up and have beers and whatever was available there. And, and uh, everybody stuck around for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was... Um, yeah, I've watched the sun come up with some folks before and it could, it always happens. I think it was out at the great American uh, Saturday night till 3am. So mm-hmm. <laughs> came close and I'm like, yeah. not doing it, going home. <laughs> so <laughs> anyhow, you know, it's a good time, really good time. And, uh, I just want to give out one more shout out to Todd Tyler and, uh, and the respect I have for him as a writer. And I told him, look, you're, you're the, one of the best writers I know in just riding. Tra- he wants me to go ride trails with him. But every mm-hmm. time I go, he gets me in such situations. I get hurt Same here. every yeah. time he didn't any, any blitzes right through. And I'm trying to keep up. And I'm Wearing like, pajamas. I'm so, yeah. And I'm so Todd, I'm so intimidated by where you want to go ride that. I mean, I can do it, but not at this pace. I mean, it's, I got to think about it. You know what I mean? I'll at least stop and think if I'm going to jump off this rock cliff onto another rock that's, you know, you know, a 15 foot gap that goes into a cave. I'd like to think about that (laughs) for a moment, you know, not just ride off of it like you do. So, and he's like, oh, all right. Well, yeah, he just doesn't like that doesn't phase him at all. So shout out to him for jumping on my open bike this weekend and giving it a go. And I thought he did phenomenal. I mean, there was a fine line between getting around that corner and there's no finessing, you know, that much horsepower around a slick corner. So I hope to see him again in the uh, Big Sky Challenge. Um, The invitation's open to him to do it again at the Big Sky on my bike. Um, So, and he knows that. And we've kind of had a verbal agreement. So hopefully he... Um, I should probably get him to put that in writing so he doesn't back out, but no, I want him to write it again. So, uh, he, he, he deserves a chance at redemption and quite frankly, he can write it anytime he wants. Yeah. He kept telling me, tell Kevin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm no, like, there's nothing to be sorry. There about. really isn't. Yeah. I, we, all of us enjoyed watching it go. Yeah. Yeah. It'd been too long sitting in the shop. So we were super thrilled that he would, he would do that. And he really burdened a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't. That's not lost on me. That was a lot of pressure on him. And I'm sorry that made him feel bad and that kind of thing. But (laughs) he's going to be all right. (laughs) He's going to be just fine. So I look forward to the next time. And I'm glad there is a next time. Yeah. And I'll be announcing at the Big Sky Challenge. You will be there then. My buddy Jeremy DeVries, who you heard this weekend, Mm -hmm. he'll be announcing with me. Great. Um, So we'll be supporting that event and uh, any other local event that comes along. And, man, someday I'd love to announce with Jamie Deere, honestly. Yeah. I would love to be some color with him. You do great with him. I'd love to. I would really. And if he hears this, I'm I'm ta- I'm talking to you, Jamie. I'd love to announce an event with you sometime if that's ever an opportunity in the in the Montana area or nearby. So give yeah. me a call. Maybe that one would of be these, great. One of these years we can get Jamie out to the BMC. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I would love to see that. I'm sure, he's been wanting to come himself. He would love it. Yeah. 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 We would all enjoy his voice. Yeah. So I agree. Well, thank you very much, Kevin, for your time. Do you have any one you'd like to thank? In particular, you know, I just uh, thank my family for you know affording the time for me to dedicate to the sport, and uh, you know thank everybody who's helped me you know build bikes and um, people that I traveled with and practiced with over the years, and um, you know opportunities I get from the BMC to announce, mm-hmm. um, kind of get my legs under me for doing that sort of thing, and that hopefully will carry me into the long term future. And hill climbing is doing that sort of thing, and maybe some. Uh, 
I don't know. I think about promoting some stuff myself at the local level and see go. where it goes. But um, no, I've got a mind for that kind of thing, and I I I think I can help. So we'll we'll see. I'm not going away. Well, that's good to know. You yeah. can't. And thank you very much for everything you've done thank for the sport you, Matt. and for Austin and myself. And uh, it's been an honor knowing you. And thanks for taking the time out tonight to to talk. Right. I I really appreciate you, and thank you for this opportunity. It's been fun. Yeah. And I probably fun. talked way too much. No, it was. <laughs> We could go on and on. Well, well, of course we'll we could. We we'll wait for Scott off. Olson here. Yeah, let's bring Scott in here and have some laughs. Him and Scott and Todd. Oh, you man. know that story Todd told about him's worst wreck? I think I cried that day <laughs> laughing. And I was here at work. I was working. I had my headphones on and my wife's over here working. I start crying. I'm laughing so hard about that wreck he described on your podcast with him and you and Austin. He just rolls in there and turns the place upside down with that story. It was awesome. I know. So, yeah, it'd be cool to get those guys together. We'll make it happen. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning into the Elevated Action Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes, and don't forget to follow the Elevated Action Sports pages on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Have a great day.